0: All right. Nice job meeting and greeting nearly all of you. Let's do this. Let's talk about New Year's resolutions. Anybody have one? This means yes, or even this? No, no resolutions? Oh, there's a bold hand. Okay. All right, (laughs) going to stop procrastinating starting tomorrow. Excellent. Rosemary, you've got one? I'm going to get closer to God. Closer to God. Well, you know, there there are a few rows ahead of you in case you want (sighs) to. I'll be here all the week. Uh, Okay, so it's that time of year. Not everybody does it. I've read statistics that say 23% of Americans last year did it. And I looked at the survey size. It was... Under 7,000 people, I'm like, eh, eh, but I told you about it anyway. So, as I was thinking about what it means to be speaking to you on New Year's Day, I came across a tweet that really stuck out to me. So, Robin, if you could throw that tweet on the screen, that would be incredible. Gather round, ladies. It's time for the annual buying of... The Notebooks That Will Change Everything, trademarked. Does this resonate with anybody? So, I'm, I'm not a lady, but I have to tell you, I have a number of, of journals and, you know, all kinds of things that have about four pages written in them in bookcases all through my life. And uh, there's something so hopeful about, oh, this will be the one that makes the difference. And I find myself resonating disturbingly with that. There's something about starting a new year, thinking there's one little thing that we can do that's going to change everything, whether it's the notebook or a change of habits or an attitude maybe that we want to try out in 2023. But we know the success rate for those kinds of resolutions are pretty abysmal. And I'm not saying, don't try them. Um, You know, you can procrastinate, and then you can stop procrastinating anytime tomorrow. I think that's wonderful. What I'm saying is we know in our heads that New Year's resolutions are a way of not accomplishing something, generally. And most of us have a life history of trying it that bears that out. So, speaking of low probability of success, today I want to talk about fortune cookie advice, of all things, training by Proverbs, and a relationship that's more rewarding than either wish-casting, that is, hoping that something is true, or rule-following. So, here we are. Uh, 2023 starts with interest rates up, stock markets well down, more than 10,000 flights canceled over the holiday travel season, Life can be tough, right? Okay, for those who have a bit of perspective or a morbid sense of humor, I found another image. Uh, It's an old New Year's card for you. Uh, Happy New Year. And we've got a big cauldron of soup, and the lady is taking the year. I don't know if you can see it on the back of the boy's shirt there. 1889 is going into the soup. It was a Happy New Year's 1890. And I I looked, it was a cigarette company that made these, and they're all super morbid. Uh, And I I was like, wow, okay, well, there's something you don't see anymore, kind of. It's a tough world out there, though, whether you're in 1890 or 2023, whether you're a competitor on Survivor, which my family has recently started binge-watching past seasons of. So my question is, how do we cope? How do we deal with a world that offers us terrors, as well as enjoyments. How do we cope, given the circumstances? And I want to look at a few ways of coping, starting with what I call fortune cookie living. So, I started taking photos of my fortune cookies when I ate Chinese food or Panda Express, and uh, I thought they were interesting. And I started noticing, once I was recording them all, a theme developing among them. So, here are a few. First one, enjoy yourself while you can. Hey, seize the day! And this fortune sounds pretty good when I first read it. I'm like, okay, I am being given by my dessert permission to enjoy myself. And as far as things dessert offers, that's a pretty good one, I thought. But more than half This little sentence drives home a different message while you can. And that's what made me think of the the soup cauldron picture, was it's going to be over, and that something else is going to happen. You can't count on being able to enjoy yourself all the time. It's a tough world in the real world. Even if things are pretty smooth and comfortable, you can never count on that continuing. Second fortune that I bumped into was love yourself first, and everything else falls into line. Now, when I read this, a particular song from the last decade came to my mind, and I don't personally think the message of that Ed Sheeran song, popularized by a Canadian singer, was actually love yourself. I think there was a different message there. But this fortune is a message that we might hear a lot in our context that we have to focus on self-care primarily. I've got to be healthy to help others. And that has an element of truth to it, if hurt people hurt people, but taken the way we want to take it, love yourself first is a self-serving game that's a temptation to most of us from time to time. Somebody who loves themselves first is always eventually going to let others down, and they're going to have trouble maintaining relationships, especially the closest ones where giving is part of the relationship. They're going to struggle hanging in through difficult situations because if loving self is the most important thing, self-protecting has to come before everything else. Third one, you are destined for success and happiness. Now, I thought about this, if I wrote that on a post-it note and handed it to you, would you feel warm inside? Or would you feel like, Mike, are you, what, what is it you want from me? Right? That there, surely there's a pretext or a subtext or, a, I don't know, something. I'm lying, trying to make you feel good might be one way that you would interpret that. And I'm not saying there aren't times we want to hear this message, But you and I already know that we don't know the future, right? Anybody here claim to know the future? Okay. Because if so, I want to talk to you about 2023 stocks. Um, Success, furthermore, doesn't always look the way we might want it to, right? We're a week past Christmas that's long enough for some of the games that children and adults alike play to have gotten old, to have gotten boring, or, if my recollection <clears throat> of my own childhood uh, is any indication broken, a week was plenty for that. Let's move on. The architect of your destiny is yourself. I am my density, uh, destiny. This fortune seems to put the pressure of lo- the, the last fortune's promises on me. I must craft my destiny in order to succeed and be happy. Well, I don't like that either. I'm a person who's gone through multiple career changes, for example, so I'm kind of pessimistic about my own ability to have a master plan for my life and architect my destiny. Now, there is truth to it. I am, you are responsible for our actions, our decisions, our plans, but this sounds more like something you'd be told in sales training than by somebody who loves you for you if I'm being honest. So, one of the games people play is telling ourselves we get to declare victory out of loss. An example I thought of came from another song, a music video Taylor Swift put out a few years ago, which concluded with the following text on the screen. She lost him, but she found herself, and somehow that was everything. Okay. Now, I don't want to scold tay but she should definitely not base her value on him or her relationships, even if him is Harry. But how many failed relationships is Taylor Swift or anybody going to go through, and are they supposed to re-realize each time who they are? Is each breakup going to be the definitive one for a little while, until they realize, no, I I still went back for another relationship. Will we come at some point to an understanding that that's no basis for self-definition? All right, last one, I think. You will discover new strength in an ongoing battle. And this is another one I kind of misread when I first got it. And I thought it kind of meant, you're getting a powerful ally in life's struggle. I was like, oh, cool, I could use a powerful ally. But just reading it, it sounds like the difficulty you're already in will reveal new strength in you. And that would be nice. But my problem is none of those other fortunes gave me any indication that I should be in a struggle. I didn't sign up for that. I'm up for enjoying myself, loving myself, being successful and happy, and architecting my destiny like a boss. But... Like Calvin talking to Hobbes, objecting to New Year's resolutions, we don't want to believe we need to improve. Resolutions? Me? What are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. Okay, I'm not Calvin. You're not Calvin, I think. We, we know we're not perfect. So even though I want to believe this entertainment from my dessert, I'm painfully reminded by Taylor Swift and this last fortune that there has to be a better way. We're in a church, so I'm going to suggest one way would be to look in the Bible. I can do that, right? Okay, proverbial living is then another way of living. So the book of Proverbs in the Bible can be looked at as a training manual for raising a king. A wise king is what they were shooting for. So, perhaps that's a better basis for making future plans. And one of the things that you'll notice is the emphasis in Proverbs is on wisdom rather than self-indulgence. So, it's got a different tone than fortune cookies. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, this approach to life looks somewhere other than myself as the ultimate source of answers. And some of the Proverbs' advice contradicts, directly or indirectly, my cookie fortunes. So, Proverbs 27.1 is an example. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Rutro row, Raggy. Success and happiness? Architect of your destiny? Well, to the extent that they're possible, they're fine. But the reality for most of us is that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And Proverbs notes that. Proverbs 16.2 says, "...all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord." You think you're doing right, says the author, but you're really not the best person to judge that. So, not only that, but our plans, however wonderful, however complex or elaborate, however popular they seem to us, don't ensure the outcome, Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And the hard part about this uh, proverb is that it says all those fortune cookie fantasies that I was reading are just dust because God's will is what matters. God's will is what happens. And that's the idea in Proverbs. Listen and learn and follow and trust in God. So Proverbs 22, 17 through 19, a little bit longer passage Pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you. All of which is great and true. But I have a question before we put all our confidence in the book of Proverbs. What happened to Solomon? Let's look at 1 Kings Chapter 11, verse 4, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So despite being such a wise man, despite having said so many wise things, despite having drawn people from across the world eager to hear what wise things he had to say, he filled his heart ultimately with other kinds of worship than the God who had granted him that wisdom in the first place. Ooh. And despite Solomon being so wise, his son Rehoboam, who's supposed to be trained as a wise king, right? That's a primary use of Proverbs, theoretically. This son rejected the advice that the wise counselors of Solomon's court gave him, and listened instead to his peers. And the result was, instead of one nation, as David and Solomon had ruled, he ruled a portion of the nation, and the whole rest of the nation split away. The bigger one was called Israel, the smaller one was called Judah. Okay, and I'm thinking about Solomon's life in this context. I'm thinking about how he thought, what he did, and I came across another tweet this week that kind of cracked me up, uh, even though I haven't really been watching the show about Wednesday Adams, uh, Proverbs, looking kinda happy, bright, everything's gonna work out all right. And Ecclesiastes, oh, oh. And if you've read any Ecclesiastes, it, it starts off pretty snappy and it continues on. So we've looked at Proverbs a little bit. I've talked about how Solomon couldn't heed his own vi- advice. And there's this other book attributed to him called Ecclesiastes, which is less optimistic. So here's Ecclesiastes 2, 15 and 16. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Well, there's a happy message for New Year's Day. I got up early to come to church to hear wisdom and foolishness basically come out the same color when you wash them. Well, developing wisdom is essential, but it's not a certain way to live because of the games that we play in love, in friendships, in living out our faith. So I want to offer a third alternative, which is Christ-powered living. If wish fulfillment isn't isn't enough, a good set of rules isn't the best way to live, what is? Now, what if there were a Solomon who took all his own advice and stuck to it, lived by it in every way? What if there were someone who architected life in a way that made the most important things, the transcendent things, the eternal things, the permanent things, the most valuable? How could we follow that person? Could such a person even ever exist well here's what Jesus said in Luke 11:31. the Queen of the South that's Sheba who came and visited Solomon and w- was staggered basically by his wisdom and wealth the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now something greater than Solomon is here and Jesus doesn't point anywhere else. Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. And the great thing about this new Solomon is, unlike the first one, Jesus' wisdom is complete. Jesus lived out that wisdom before, during, and after his time on earth. Okay, but how does that help us? How is Jesus' perfection helpful to those of us who want more than fortune cookies or a good set of guidance? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Longest passage yet. All right. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not... To nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, to sum up, if you are in Jesus, God has made Jesus your wisdom which is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And the right response to that is, I don't deserve that. We're not worthy. This is a gift we don't deserve, and that's why instead of boasting about our future fortunes, our response is to boast in Jesus. We say, isn't our Savior wonderful? When you leave the church on a Sunday, Don't say, I liked your sermon. Say, isn't our Savior wonderful? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to say something on the way out, say, isn't your Savior wonderful? How does that help someone who isn't in Jesus? Perhaps you feel like a person who's on the outside looking in, and you don't entirely know what I'm talking about. Here's what John, the apostle Jesus loved. In uh, John 1, 12 and 13 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, his authority, his fame, his power, who he fundamentally was, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we become part of God's family by saying in contradiction to most of what I've read to you from fortune cookies, it's not about enjoying myself while I can. It's not about loving myself first. It's not about my own success. It's not about myself as the architect of my destiny. It is about discovering new strength from a particular source. Not in your own wisdom, not in mine, but by living in Christ's wisdom by his work. He accomplished it. He knew the right thing, and he did it. And you know what? You get to follow along as a member of God's family by living in Christ's wisdom by his work, and then that joins you into God's family where you can live to love him. All right, Malik, you'd better come up because I want to sing to this God who made a plan that was better than my wishes, who made a plan that works better than what Solomon gave. And the amazing thing is that the false promises of a fortune cracker, the perfection desired but not achieved by attempting to follow Proverbs unaided by God, these are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that post-it, you are destined for success and happiness? What if instead of my handing it to you, God himself handed it to you? Would that be confidence inspiring? Here's how Jude, the brother of Jesus and the writer of a short New Testament letter finishes his letter, Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault And with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, it's not quite the same message as the post-it. I'd say it's better. Without fault is what the post-it that God hands to you in Jesus says. Without fault and with great joy are what those post-its say. And we're not going to get there on our own. But the good news, the gospel, is that in Christ, we can grow in 2023. And he will get the credit now and forevermore. Amen. Let me pray. God, I am so grateful that we're not left to our own efforts and we're not left to our own... Desire to polish up what we think and do. But you left us with the perfect resource to be clean before you, to learn to love one another in community, and to know you forever. And I ask God that in 2023, the things that we value would be more and more the things that you value. And that you would power and empower in us an ongoing transformation that makes us about your ongoing work, that makes us about your people, that makes us about connecting with those outside your kingdom currently. And I ask God that you would increasingly allow us to experience that transformation in 2023, whatever we do with our resolutions and whatever we do with our time. I pray that we would bend a knee to you and say, whatever we do, we're going to do it for you because Jesus made it possible. And so it's gratefully in his name I pray. Amen.